Alexander. Yes? <laughs> Do you think that if you were Alexander the Great, that you could have come all the way to Australia and conquered Australia? No. Why not? It's too much work. Too much work. You know you're never going to be Alexander the Great, are you? Just can't be bothered. Do you think you, when you grow up, do you think you could just take New Zealand? That's not far. Hmm? No? <laughs> do you think you too could... Too cold. Too cold, New Zealand. All right. Do you, do you think you could take New Guinea? Just take New Guinea. What's New Guinea? It's uh, to the north of Australia. Is it hot? It's hot. Too hot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, in previous episodes, have been trying to think of a fake name for my son, but I think I'll just stick with Alexander. He's such an Alexander. Uh, the other two, I'll give fake names, and other people, and myself, they, you know, we can all have fake names, but I, no other name works on him. Speaking of Alexander, the real Alexander, well, the original Alexander, we live on Mount Alexander Road. Well, just off it, by the way, uh, which is, the, was the road to Mount Alexander in the gold fields of Victoria. The gold rush, uh, which for a time made Melbourneites here in Melbourne, we were the richest people on earth per capita yeah. um, Melbourneites on average were richer than people in New York or uh, in um, London or Paris but not richer than indigenous people in remote areas arguably might have argued Captain Cook <laughs> alright You've been listening to previous episodes, and you know what I mean. Perhaps you have. All right. Uh, now, what were we talking about? Uh, Alexander. Um, all right. A little interesting. Um, what if? Um, what ifs are very valid, because what ifs could have happened. What ifs could have happened. And uh, here's a good what if. And uh, this was discussed with me, with me in a perfectly passive position because I was listening to a podcast. Uh, and um, someone, no idea who, I can't remember, all my original ideas uh, come from uh, people who I can't remember. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and now Alexander, you know, pushed his way all the way to India. Uh, never lost a battle, Alexander. Unless you ask an Ethiopian, because the Ethiopians uh, say that... Um, that Alexander uh, met up with the Ethiopians once and and they defeated Alexander in battle but there's no record uh, the Ethiopians are champions at that sort of thing you know they say if, if you know if um, Alexander had a gap in his busy diary um, you know because Alexander's travels are well documented I mean not well documented by Alexander. You know, he wasn't like Julius Caesar who was actually 
writing a diary uh, as he as he went to conquering. But you know, we we all pretty much know what Alexander got up to. He, he died when he was 33. He didn't have much time, and you know, he conquered most of the known world. So there wasn't much room. Um, there wasn't much time for him to be um, having little extra battles that nobody knows about. Uh, but, uh, you know, um, actually, I think someone wrote a novel once, um, a fantasy, in which Alexander uh, digressed and went up against who? A Queen Candace of Ethiopia. You, the, the word Ethiopia uh, apparently means something like burnt face in Greek, you know. Um, so when we say Ethiopia, it might have been um, Kush people and not the um, Habesha people that, you know, the modern Ethiopians are. Uh, but whoever, you know. But the point is, there was a novel written once, a fantasy, um, a little bit like Mills and Boone, in which... Alexander came up against what Queen Candace of the Ethiopians. Yeah, um, the Greeks referred to all people of dark skin as Ethiopians back then, apparently. So you know you have to be a little bit loosey goosey, as I always say. Um, and I, you know, one of my original ideas, which I probably got from someone else, but one of my no, I think this might have been an original idea. Uh, you can kind of, you can't have a truly original idea, but you can make little connections of your own based on, you know, t two different people can tell you two different things and you can put them together and that's kind of an original idea. It's not that original. All right. Um, oh, uh, hang on. Oh, hello, hello. Just for fun, I'm going to waste your time a little bit more, just to, just, just um, to, uh, to uh, display my Zen swagger. You know, I should just have silence for about twenty seconds until you, until you switch this podcast off. All right. Um, I know I was talking about Alexander. Um, look, whatever it was, it wasn't that interesting. Right now, um, so. Uh, Alexander, oh yeah, the, the what if, and uh, someone was saying on a podcast, you know, and I think it was a Greek history, and they were saying Alexander went all the way to India, and oh yeah, I was talking about the Ethiopians, wasn't I? Yes, Ethiopians are very good at, um, if there's a gap in history, they fill it in. Most cultures are good at that. This is the whole idea of um, theology, really. It's a, you know, and indigenous people do it too. We don't know where we came from. You know, that's a gap in our knowledge, so we'll fill it in with rainbow snakes and black serpents and uh, black lizards and things like that. And, and we'll tell you how it all started, you know, because we don't know how it all started. So we'll tell you how it all started. You know, and most cultures have done that. Most cultures have got an origin story. And, but they, I, I find the Ethiopians particularly good at it. Yeah, they, they have this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, you know. Moses um, comes down from the mountain and 
you know, two stone tablets, five commandments each and all that sort of thing, 10, you know, three stone uh, tablets, 15 commandments, and uh, oh, one, he drops one. Uh, who was that idiot who uh, made that joke? And, uh, oh, he, you know, he says, I have 15 commandments to, you know, and you shall follow them. What's that golden calf doing there? You know, um, I have 15, whoops, crack. Um, one of one of the stone tablets hits a rock, <laughs> shatters into 50 bits. I, I have 10 commandments that I shall give to you from God, you know, and, um, and, uh, and so, now, and in the Bible, um, Ikea style, um, there's something there in Genesis or Genesis or somewhere like that. Who, who wrote Genesis? Was it, was that Moses as well? Uh, very prolific Moses. Um, I'm not sure if it was Moses. And, um, in there, you know, um, Ikea style, um, the Bible says there shall be a, uh, a, a cabinet that will be, you know, such and such cubits long and such and such cubits high and such and such cubits wide. And that, that cabinet shall have, that, <coughs> excuse me, the sun. Oh, um, and, and it shall house the Ten Commandments, the, the, you know, the two surviving tablets, you know, and, um, and, and, it, and, and that was called the Ark of the Covenant. The Israelites had, and, and yea, verily, they went and built that thing, you know, apparently. But if they didn't build that thing, then, you know, straight away, they built it later, you know. And, um, and what's his name? Um, you know, I'm talking off the top of my head, so I can't remember all the names. So J not Jacob, um, you know, the, the real violent one in the Old Testament who uh, Joshua fought the battle of, battle of, you know, and um, Joshua um, uh, went to Babylon and he wanted to defeat them, but there were great walls there, and um, so he just walked up and down with the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and they just marched up and down, and then the walls just um, crumbled to dust due to the power of the Ark of the Covenant, you know. And, um, and, and, and I discussed that before, you know, the way I, I feel that the Israelites um, uh, turned themselves into a superpower, really, with words, you know, because the two superpowers in the ancient times uh, in that region where the, the Jews were, were Babylon and Egypt, you know, and, and really the uh, Israelites were a, a shepherd race, you know, tending their flocks in between. Uh, largely, uh, they had chiefs, I'm sure. You might have even had people who you call kings, you know, and I think they did have uh, moments, you know, history goes for a long time, so they would have had moments where they had even slightly great kings. You know? um, David you know, is uh, mentioned on a stele. Ethiopians are all into stele as well. Um, I don't know if stele is like sheep, it, um, can be used in the singular and the um, and the plural, you know, or is it stella? Stella, you know, um, but I think it's Stella, whether it's single or singular or plural. And David, you know, was a great king, or he might have been a great chief of a local tribe. Uh, but he's a great king now because the Jews knew how to big up 
big up their great chiefs and um, and Joshua was another one Joshua fit the battle on Babylon Joshua fit the battle on Babylon yeah I'm sure, I'm sure it was Joshua and the Ark of the Covenant had power you know because it had the Ten Commandments in it but it had power beyond that um, thou shalt not worship the golden calf and thou shalt not worship the uh, the the Ark of the Covenant before me kind of did, you know, they said the ark had power in and of itself, which is a bit uh, unbiblical, you know, Moses said don't do that, but, um, alright, uh, so the ark of the covenant had all this power, you know, and then the, and this is really, um, and then the Ethiopians are really good at filling in gaps, you know, and the ark of the covenant ended up in the temple, Solomon's temple, you know, very important, very famous temple, you know, which might have been slightly not quite as grand as uh, the history books, uh, the history books, the Bible says, uh, that's a history book, a history book arising from the imagination, you know, with a little bit of fact thrown in, uh, germ, little seed, little germs of fact, you know, seeds of fact, and the Ark of the Covenant ended up in Solomon's temple, and, it, and there was a fake I think this is in Ethiopia's Kebranagast, you know, uh, which is their kind of scripture written, I don't know, a thousand years ago. Um, pretty recent, but you know what I mean. Um, maybe 700 years ago, I don't, can't remember. And um, anyway, um, there was two Arks of the Covenant, you know. Solomon had a real one and he had a fake one. Um, and then Queen of Sheba came up, you know, and handled, provided the music. And uh, she came up and they made sweet love, you know, the, um, Solomon, and, and, and they made sweet chat as well. Uh, Solomon was entranced by, he fell in love with her intellect. That's what he fell in love with. And, and then she swiped his, she, she put the fake ark where the real ark was and swiped the real ark and went back to Ethiopia. And that's where it is to this day, you know, and that's how they fill in the gaps, the Ethiopians. And, you know, they, they found a, a a gap in Alexander's travel diaries and said, well, there's no way he was just sort of resting, eating peeled grapes. Um, we'll fill that in. He came down, you know, and it's just a coincidence that, you know, this is, um, this is very similar what we're about to say to a novel, a romantic novel that someone wrote. Um, he came down to Ethiopia, there was a great battle and we drove him off. So we're the only you know, we are the brave fighters and we're the only people who have ever, who were, you know, you, everyone thinks Alexander remained undefeated like Essendon in 2000. Uh, but, ah, remember Essendon did have one loss in 2000. Even though they won the premiership, they did have one loss there on the, along the way somewhere. Um, and Alexander had one loss as well. Uh, to the Ethiopians, the bravest fighters on earth, because just told you what happened and you know the Indians couldn't beat him and neither could the Persians and neither could the Egyptians but we did you know um, so that's the way things go but as far as Alexander look you know I can tie Alexander into indigenous Australia all right let's go and this idea was given to me by somebody else and um, I have to say that I I can see it and the idea goes like this, um, and 
Um, now, Alexander went all the way to India, you know, to the uh, modern-day Pakistan, I presume. Um, you know, the north, northwest India. And he took the Indus Valley, you know, or part of it, you know, and then he came up against a river. Which river was that? Was it the Indus? I can't remember. Um, was it the Ganges? I don't think so. Um, okay, but it could have been. Um, I don't know geography very well. You, you can't know history unless you know geography. And I love history. And you know, I can never be bothered studying geography. Um, oh, things would make a lot more sense if I, if I um, studied geography more. Um, all right, uh, so Alexander went all the way to India and, you know, remained undefeated like Essendon in 2000, except for the way one won loss, um, which we won't mention. Greatest team in history, um, Essendon, 2000, the, the, team of the, the team of the century, the team of forever. And he um, had a difficult battle there. And after that battle, I think there were elephants involved. Elephant war elephants can be very scary, um, uh, and um, not that Alexander was scared. He was up for it all the time. He was god, you know. Alexander was a god. Has there ever been someone more naturally blessed than Alexander? I mean, you know, he was a prince. I think he was. He competed in the Olympics. He was beautiful in the Greek sense, you know. Um, and he was um, he was homosexual, which is gives you a special kind of celebrity in the 21st century. Uh, so it might have given you a special kind of celebrity in ancient Greece too. Uh, he was intelligent. Um, he was charismatic. There's no doubt about it. And he happened to be a great fighter. And he happened to be powerful. And he was rich. He had everything. You know. Um, what else did he have? And his private tutor was Aristotle. This is getting ridiculous. Aristotle, Alexander, was there ever a human in history? Um, and he was, uh, that was more, uh, you know, who was given more gifts by the gods? I suspect not. You know, he might be number one in all of history. And not only that, not only did he have all those advantages, he had talent to match and happened to be not only a great fighter but a great military strategist such that he became the greatest general on earth and he was also born at the right time which is very important if you want to be great if you want to be Alexander the Great you have to be born at the right time and he, you know you have to be lucky as well so he had luck on his side and he had luck many times you know in the thick of battle all the time, leading from the front, taking arrows and all that sort of stuff. He was heavily injured. He, he, he took too many blows in the end. You know, and some people think that maybe that had something to do with his eventual death, you know, along with the poison. Um, but he was bashed around, but my God, he was, uh, he, was, um, he, was a, he was given all the gifts from the gods. All right, now, this superhuman, who had all the talent, the luck, and everything, um, and all the physical, uh, you know, he was um, a philosopher, and a, a general, and a prince, and then a king, and then he was pharaoh, he was everything, he was a god, you know, and he also had a scary, scary mother, 
the scariest mother, who was even scarier than him, I think. And you know, when he was when he was growing up, I'm sure she was saying every night, like most Greeks get, you know. And well, he wasn't Greek; he was Macedonian. Yeah, he spoke Greek, um, and he saw himself as part of the Homeric tradition. He was descended from the gods, um, so he was he was a Hellene. You know, the modern Macedonians, um, you know, happen to be in the same area. Uh, but look, you know, I'm not going to put um, Slavs and Huns and all those people down. They're all great in another episode of this podcast, you know. I'll sing their virtues. But he just wasn't Slavic, um, Alexander. He came from a rural kind of area, you know in Greece um, you know, he, he was like uh, if Melbourne was Athens how's that sound? if Melbourne was Athens and Tasmania was Sparta uh, you know, then um, Macedonia might be Queensland in the Hellenic world you know, um, people these days the Turks and all that sort of stuff saying oh the Greeks didn't really own all of this bit here, you know, this bit of Anatolia, and the Greeks weren't, you know, there was no, and that's because there was no such thing as Greece, you know, Greece is not even a Greek word, um, there were no nation states then, you can you know, it's uh, it's unfair, it's a dirty trick to speak like that, um, because, you know, there were Hellenic people, you know, and the Ethiopians, oh, well, you know, and all that sort of stuff, you know, all right, anyway. Um, so Alexander got all the way to India. I'm going to tie it into Indigenous Australia. You know, this is going to be a long episode just to talk about one battle. But as I said, strap yourself in when I'm chatting. Um, or switch off and go and listen to someone else. Um, uh, so, he had a particularly difficult battle with the elephants. I hope I've got the battles right. And his men had stuck with him all through thick and thin uh, because he was he was so you know he was clearly charismatic and a great general and his men would walk over glass molten glass for him um, he was he clearly was a great leader um, but there came a time they had been on the road for years um, Alexander and his army and they were just winning everything, taking losses, of course. Um, and uh, they came to India, and you know Alexander was getting into each culture as he, uh, you know, probably literally as well. <laughs> and um, but um, getting into every culture, you know, when he went to Persia, he, you know, because he thought he was the god of the universe. He thought he was a god, um, so he was god of all humans, of all peoples. Um, Alexander. So when, when he went to Persia, um, and I don't think, you know, maybe his fellow Greeks wanted him to stay more Greek. Uh, his fellow Hellenes wanted him to stay more Hellenic. But he said, no, I'm the god of everything, you know. Um, so, you know, eventually he would become an Egyptian god as well, you know, a pharaoh and all that sort of thing. And, you know, when he went to Persia, he took on the habits of the Persian uh gods, you know, the king, you know, maybe he became fire worshipper, maybe he came, maybe he started singing Thus Spake Tharasustra and all that sort of stuff, the cleansing power of fire, 
you know, maybe he did all that. When he went to India, I think he got into Indian philosophy. Um, you know, the two philosophies merge, you know, because he was a student of Aristotle, you know, when he was young, at least, um, you know, and off on a conquering mission and, you know, taking little botanical samples and flora and fauna and all that sort of stuff and sending them back in pots or whatever, however he did, or baskets, back to Aristotle for classification. He was a scientist as well um, and um, science-minded, but mostly a conqueror. And he gets over in India, and this is actually a, you know, I, I like this little moment in history. It's a little bit like when Elvis met the Beatles, you know, um, or when Mozart met Beethoven, or Beethoven met Mozart. I love these little moments in history when the Greek philosopher met the Indian philosopher, you know. And he became, and Alexander shared philosophical ideas with the Indians once he got to India. I think that's fantastic. You know, there would have been cross-cultural, you know, like the Greeks of old, you know, even before Alexander's time, knew about, you know, had ideas of reincarnation. I mean, one of Plato's students came to him once and said, um, you know what I think? I, I, I think I like reincarnation as an idea, you know? And this is where you've got to keep your, you have to keep your, in my opinion, your history messy. You know, people say, oh, Indians, you know, um, reincarnation, you know, Jews, um, single God, you know, um, Egyptians yeah, um, have all their gods, you know, and, and, and the Pharaoh is God as well, except they had one Akhenaten, you know, who was a single God, one God, but then they got knocked on the head, you know, and, and people like to put everyone in little boxes, but it's a lot messier than that. Seriously, surely, don't you think? Oh, I don't know. Um, but, um, you know, one of Plato's students came to him and said, I like reincarnation, you know. And then Plato said, well, if you like reincarnation, run with it, you know. And, and Plato, I think, explained, you know, that's what we all call, that's what we kind of think of as a myth, you know. You go with that myth. Um, you know, Plato wasn't sort of the one that you can't prove it, so you can't use it. You know, that wasn't Plato. More sophisticated than that, you know. That's like an atheist in the modern world says, can't prove it, can't use it, you know. Um, but um, Plato was more of the mind to say that, you know, like Ethiopians, if there's a gap in our knowledge, fill it in. Yeah. But Plato was probably different than the Ethiopians in as much as he might have said, fill it in, but be aware it is a myth. You know, um, it's not true. Um, you know, don't call it true in a kind of... Um, evidence-based, you know, proven way in that sort of sort of sense of proof. Um, I am very relaxed. It's about relaxing intellectually. I am relaxed about you um, having as a placeholder uh, for all the possible ideas um, of what might happen to us after we die, as having your placeholder reincarnation. You know, whereas the Indians was, you know, would would be a bit more rigid and say reincarnation is true, you know, and um, Jews might say that you know, God is true, you know, our God, you know, the one we made up, you know, the toga and the toggle under his toga, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, up in the sky, what's he going to do with it, uh, you know? And um, so, um, 
But, you know, and I think that is, I like that about the Greeks. And I'm not saying the Greeks have got a monopoly on that, you know, but I just haven't seen much evidence of um, that in other places. I feel the Greeks have got that myth idea going along, going on better than other places. Everyone else calls it, you know, fact. Whereas at least some Greeks were calling it myth. You know, I don't think they thought Zeus was a myth. Uh, and yet I think, you know, probably they did, you know. Because Aristotle said, you know, I, I am not so sure that the gods made us. I would say that we made the gods, you know. So, you know, the Greeks, I think, um, are awesome, you know. I like the word awesome in its uh, pre-social media kind of sense, you know. Um, when things had to be awesome, um, to be awesome, like Essendon in 2000. What a premiership. Right. Um, and so Alexander got to India and his men beseeched him. Please, Alexander, can we go home to our families? We've been on the road a long time. And Alexander said, no, we shall go forth. We shall keep going because we are the greatest conquerors in history. And we've come to India and we're going to go, we, you know, we're going to overrun the whole of India. And then we're going to see what's beyond that, you know. And I think Alexander even brought um, shipbuilding architects with him in the expectation that he might find an ocean um, so that he would be ready to build boats when he got there. You know, I think that's in the record that Alexander had that sort of level of um, foresight. Um, Alexander, there was nothing that Alexander couldn't conquer, and he was quite prepared to conquer the oceans as well. All right, now think about this. Um, as it turned out, Alexander did turn around and go back. Um, lost a lot of men in the desert on the way back because he tried a, a desert crossing that was far too arduous, but that was Alexander. He didn't want to come back the same way. Maybe he wanted to conquer the desert as well. Um, and... Uh, get your geography, you know, get your atlases out to find out where that desert is. It's down, you know, I think there's one route across to India that's a little bit more pleasant. Um, just Persians and Armenians and things in the way, you know, hack and slash, hack and slash, but at least you're not dying of thirst. And he came back a different way, what, further to the south, you know, that took you through a desert and very inhospitable, lost a lot of men, um, and, you know, those, the men would have preferred hack and slash, hack and slash all the way back again um, if they had to um, than dying of thirst. Uh, but anyway, he did turn back Alexander, which is, you know, pretty un-Alexander-like, but I wasn't there, so I don't know what was on his mind. But, you know, no doubt I feel that he must have sat down with his generals, who might have been Ptolemy and all the rest of them, you know, Ptolemy, who, you know, that ended up Cleopatra, um, the, who was Ptolemy's uh, descendant. And, um, and actually, um, Cleopatra was the name of Alexander's mother-in-law. Um, you know, his father had quite a few wives, but the two most notable ones, I think, are Alexander's mother, scary woman, and Cleopatra, you know, who Philip, Alexander's father, um, you know, kind of put, um, uh, Olympia, who was Alexander's mother, aside, because she was getting a little older. I think she was ravishingly beautiful anyway, maybe. Uh, but he wanted a younger 
ravishingly beautiful wife, so he went and got another one, and her name, I think, was Cleopatra, and had, what, two children? And, um, and you know, um, after Philip was assassinated, he was assassinated by his bodyguard. Um, um, and one of the Ethiopian chief of staff was assassinated by his bodyguard the other day too. Um, and anyway, uh, and Olympia, Alexander's mother, scary woman. I think she had Cleopatra, the beautiful young Cleopatra's children slaughtered and maybe Cleopatra herself uh, but you know that that was all a while ago now Alexander was left the last heir standing after Philip was killed and now he's in India and his generals are talking him into uh, turning back can we turn back we want to see our wives Alexander uh, and Alexander actually said yes, you know. Now, I think, had they not asked that, I think Alexander, I think it's fair to say Alexander would have kept pushing forward uh, because that was his nature. Um, he was a god, you know. And when you're a god, you just have this self-belief. And, you know, this is a vote in favour of the idea that um, even if things can't be proven scientifically, they have value. Now, Alexander thought he was the next Achilles, and because he thought that, he was able to be a great conqueror. You know? And if he didn't think that, if he was a true scientist, he wouldn't have had that self-belief, you know? So is believing yourself to be bigger than you are, even falsely, um, is that a wrong thing to do? Well, let's just put it this way, Ethiopia wouldn't exist to this day if they didn't tell themselves or the, believe in their own myths, you know, because um, they believe themselves to be bigger than they are, and that has made them survive. So I'm all for it, you know. Is that a higher truth than a scientific truth if it's going to make you survive? You know, because what is the highest truth as coded into us by the universe? Uh, the highest truth is, you know, to compete and survive in a hostile world. And if you, if that's the highest truth, um, you know, arguably, then good on us, you know. And, um, and because the Jews had the self-belief that they were greater than the superpowers of their time, Babylon and Egypt, because they had that self-belief and wrote themselves up to be bigger than they were, Solomon and all that sort of stuff, you know, and that gave them self-belief. Um, and have a look around now. I don't see Egypt anywhere. Not that Egypt with the hieroglyphs and all that. You know, I don't see that Egypt anywhere. In fact, I see a Muslim version of that, which is, you know, pretty much a Judaic, pretty much a Jewish kind of um, version of Egypt. Um, so look around. I don't see Babylon and I don't see Egypt, but I do see Israel, uh, who were the superpowers back then. It was the super, whoever had the best imagination, and that was the Jews. Because they've survived into the 21st century or made a big comeback anyway. And Babylon and Persia and um, Egypt, they're all gone. They're gone, you know, replaced by um, the kind of Abrahamic God in the form of the Muslims. You know, the Muslims have taken over. They've won. Um, Abraham is winning all over the world. Abraham might actually end up taking the whole world, you know. Um, 
even a lot of indigenous people are, are Christians, you know. So if you, if you take everybody who is Jewish or Christian or Muslim in the world, uh, that's most of the planet, isn't it now? Aren't the Christians making huge inroads in China even? And aren't the Muslims making huge inroads in India? You know, I've got a feeling Abraham might end up winning, even here in Australia. Um, you know, um, most of Australia will end up Abrahamic. You know, there's um, the Christians mainly, even amongst the indigenous populations, Christians are pretty strong. And, um, and you know, across the Pacific Islands, my goodness, Christianity is very strong there. Israel Falau at the moment is all the rage in the news you know, because Pacific Islanders are very strongly Christian. They tend to be very strongly Christian um, and you know, uh, they have a very literal idea of Christianity. And Israel Folau at the moment um, is in a lot of trouble because he expressed those religious beliefs um, on Twitter, you know, like a tw twit. Um, and, you know, all homosexuals will burn in hell, which would have been bad news for Alexander. Um, but, um, so, uh, you know, and, and Abraham is sweeping the world. And that's relevant to indigenous culture too, because I think he's going to end up, uh, he's going to end up taking um, Australia as well, Abraham. He's received a little setback because, you know, we had a renaissance and an enlightenment and, you know, there's quite a lot of secularism and atheism going on in Australia. The, the, the only real threat to Abraham is secularism. I don't think the other religions of the world or the other traditional beliefs like indigenous beliefs have got a chance against Abraham. He's got a nice simple message. One God, no complexity, you can't beat that. You know, even the Greek gods fell before Abraham's God because they were a bit more too sophisticated and too complex and um, you know, an indigenous culture, you know, that might fall to Abraham as well eventually. I don't know. And, um, but anyway, um, Abraham, not Abraham, Abraham got to India, right? No, Alexander got to India and turned back. But had he not, there's an excellent chance that he would have keep, kept pushing through India. And if he got through India, you know, which is no, by no means easy, but he, he could have, you know, England did later. No problem at all. Um, you know, just a very small band of Englishmen took the whole of India. One billion people, you know. And, you know just a couple of English, you know. I think there was only three Englishmen marched in there. You know, it's a bit like the Spanish in um, South America, you know. Just one conquistador went to America in a canoe and and took the whole, you know, and, and took the whole lot, you know. He marched... To the um, to the palace of the Incan king, um, and then um, held him hostage and called out to all the Inca Incans in the world over there and said, "I have your king. You will call me king, or I will call, or I will kill this king." And then he went, went and did the same thing to the Aztec king, and then he went and did the same thing to the Mayan king. I'm making all that up. You know that. Uh, but point is, Alexander and his small, relatively small band of, uh, you know, that's the sort of thing that can happen in the world. I know there was only there was more than one conquistador, 
uh, but I'm making a point, and you know the point I'm making. And Alexander and his um, relatively small army could have kept marching through India, and um, I think they might have made it all the way to Southeast Asia, and I think they would have had no trouble getting right through Southeast Asia. No trouble. Think about, you know, the self-belief of Alexander and his men, you know, Achilles with his, you know, his Argonauts. Um, you know, if just for a moment he thought he was Jason, you know, instead of Achilles. Um, and he marches all the way through Southeast. This is not a large stretch of the imagination. He could have done it. Now, what would have happened when Alexander got all the way through Southeast Asia and, you know, through Java and got to Timor? Have a think about that. I think Alexander might well have got to the end of the earth like that. And being Alexander, what would he have done? He had brought boat builders with him. We already know that. He fully expected to come across an ocean at some stage. Here's what I think. And this idea was planted in my head by someone else. He would have gone into Australia. You know, he would have, he would have built some ships, you know, and uh, that's not hard, you know. Um, he would have built some ships, you know. The Greeks had done that before; they were good at that. Um, they could get a fleet going in no time, you know, in the Peloponnesian Wars and all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, even the Spartans, who weren't even seagoing, you know, they saw the Athenians in the Peloponnesian War coming around the bend with a fleet of ships and the Spartans didn't even know how to make ships or sail them or anything and uh, and um, and in no time at all they'd figured it all out you know maybe they captured a Spartan uh, trieme I think they called it um, a ship and suddenly they were making them and then figured out how to be seagoing themselves and the Romans did something similar you know they weren't very good at um, the Romans were not into seagoing Craft. You know, they weren't, they were a land army, um, but the Carthaginians were great seafarers. And, you know, they, oh. I won't take that one. And, um, and the um, Romans were, not, were a land army, and um, the Carthaginians were outdoing them, you know, in, in the battle for Sicily and all that sort of stuff, or whatever it is. And, um, and then, you know, as luck would have it, one of the Carthaginian ships washed up on the shore, you know, in Italy, and they um, reverse-engineered it, the Romans, and built a fleet, you know, and practised the art of sort of seagoing, you know, in a, in a hidden lake, you know, like they, one of, a lake. Um, and, um, and suddenly went out against the Carthaginian, Carthaginians, and invented a wonderful way of uh, playing to their own strengths um, and defeating, you know, they kind of had a, a, a land army style battle on the ocean. Absolutely amazing, those Romans. And, you know, and uh, the Romans, you know, in the battle against Carthaginians, uh, the great seafaring merchants who actually were pretty good on the seas for other reasons too militarily. Um, the Romans sort of got some Carthaginian-style boats and put land armies on the boats, 
you know, with all the famous um, Roman land army battle techniques, and then they built, they had this huge plank of wood that used to stick up on a hinge, let's say, on their boats, you know, must have looked really odd, and they'd come right up against a Carthaginian ship, and then um, this big plank of wood, you know, walk the plank style, had a huge spike on it at the top, and then they would let it fall and crash into the Carthaginian deck, into the deck of the Carthaginian ship, and then the Roman army would, you know, Roman Roman soldiers off to war, marching off to war, you know, and they'd march across this plank onto the Carthaginian ship and slaughter them all using Roman land battle techniques. Those Romans were amazing. Anyway, so what we have here now is the idea of Alexander being in Timor, just off, you know, not far from Australia, and he's got an ocean in front of him, and he doesn't know it, but, you know, not far off is Australia, and, you know, he might build some ships to go exploring just a little way out, you know, 50 kilometres, 100 kilometres, just go above, just go past the horizon, might say Alexander, just see if there's anything there. He would very much easily do that, Alexander, and he then might, um, and, and, and he would definitely have seen Australia if he had done that. Um, and knowing Alexander, he would have marched into Australia, you know, like Julius Caesar marched into Britain. You know, Julius Caesar conquered the sea, you know, a few hundred years later. And um, Alexander would have conquered the sea between Timor and Australia. And uh, I don't think that's a real stretch of the imagination at all. And, you know, but for his generals talking him, talking Alexander into turning around in India and going back to Greece, well, they went back to Egypt, you know, and took Egypt. And that's where Alexander eventually ended up meeting his maker, who was himself, he met himself because he was God. Um, uh, so he ended up dying there, was it in Alexandria? Um, uh, and, uh, but you know, had he gone to Timor, he might have taken Australia. Uh, and I don't think it's a real stretch to even imagine that. And that's interesting, you know. It was not a foregone conclusion that the um, indigenous peoples were most likely to remain untouched. That's the word that my podcasting colleague used to refer to the indigenous peoples. They're an untouched tribe, you know, that were discovered 250 years ago at the time of speaking. Um, you know, the same way that there are untouched tribes in the Amazon. I'm not keen on the word untouched as I think about it right now, but, um, you know, I'm sure they were touching themselves, you know. I'm not sure that they were that isolated. Uh, you know, they might have been touching people in New Guinea. Well, the landmass was all joined for a lot of their history anyway, weren't they? But they might have had contact with the Indonesians too. You know, just because the indigenous people came to Australia doesn't mean they didn't go back as well. There might have been trade. There might have been all sorts of things going on. There might have been high points in indigenous civilization where they were, you know, they might have had a ferry going on. There might have been a ferry service um, going between Timor and Australia for a long time in 62,000 
BC. That's possible. Um, you know. Um, so, but Alexander would have got got across to Australia. Look, maybe he wouldn't have stayed there. Maybe he would have gone back to Greece and thought, no, this is a bit difficult to exploit all this, but, you know, I'll put a flag in that. And, you know, Alexander might say, and claim it for King Alexander. Oh, that's me. <laughs> you know, Captain Cook, he had to claim it for some other king. But Alexander was the exploring um, general king himself. So, you know, he did everything himself, you know. Um, he wrote the theme music, sang the theme song, you know, and was the lead actor in the, his own movie. All right, but the point is, history, you know, could have easily been so different. Um, and indigenous culture could have been Hellenic 2,300 years ago, and they might even be all wearing togas now. You know, the English might have ended up coming to Australia, um, you know, uh, in 1770 to the east coast of Australia, but they might have just been booking a ticket because, you know, there might have been a, a, um, a regular East India Company sort of route going to Australia for the last 2,300 years, you know, um, and... You know, Captain Cook might have just coming become, been coming for a visit to a well-established um, kind of Sydney us. You know, that's Greek. <laughs> you put a US on the end of it. Uh, or is that Roman? Um, Sydneyopolis, you know, it might have been called. And Captain Cook might have just been coming for a visit. And when he got there, there might have been a great city there, Natural Harbour, with um, Greek style buildings, which we've got in Sydney anyway and in Melbourne as well. You know, our Parliament House just looks like a Greek building. But that could have been, all of that could have been constructed 2,300 years ago easily, you know. And all, the, in 2,300 years is a long time. By that time, all the Indigenous cultures might have been very Hellenic. So by the time Captain Cook got to Australia, Indigenous peoples might have been extremely Hellenic by then and have taken on, and be all speaking Greek, um, uh, you know, which is what might be the situation 2,300 years from now that um, indigenous culture is completely um, a thing that was long, long ago. Um, I hope, you know, do I hope anything? No, sorry, I've got this virtue where I don't hope anything and I don't care. I remember that. Um, but, you know, odds on, indigenous culture, you know, will be... Oh, 2,300 years is a long, long time. Um, I don't know where Indigenous culture or indeed English culture will be 2,300 years from now. It is a hugely long time. You know, that's longer than the entirety of all the time since Jesus to now. Okay, so um, that's that. You know, and the Indigenous people could have been Hellenized all that time. Um, is that possible? Yes, because everywhere Alexander went was Hellenized as well. And the legacy of that is still in all those cultures to this day. You know, whether you talk Persia and Greece and all that sort of stuff. You know, Alexander left his mark. Egypt, you know. Um, yeah, the Muslims have, you know, the um, Abra Abrahamics have risen up, you know, but the Hellenism has survived. 
as well. Hellenism has um, crept into all the civilizations in the world, you know, in the Roman ways as well, the Greco, the classical world has made its mark because pretty much every government in the world finds its roots. Uh, you know, the style of all governments of the world are Western in nature. You know, communism is Western, a Western idea. Um, uh, liberalism is a Western idea. Uh, yeah, socialism is a Western idea. Um, and parliaments and all that. So, and the idea of a Senate, all that is Western. And are there any countries that aren't following a Western sort of model? You know, everyone worries about the Abrahamics sweeping the world in a religious sense. But in a uh, cultural, social sort of sense, the and this this includes indigenous peoples. Um, in a religious sense, the Abrahamics seem to be uh, en route to um, conquering the world, you know, in terms of hearts and soul, and in terms of mind and thinking. Um, I think the Greco-Romans have swept the world in political ways and all that sort of thing. Um, all right, so that was just a great big chat. Um, coming home from dropping the kids off at school and dropping the wife off at her office. And, um, and I kind of enjoyed that chat. Did it make any, you know, kids, did that make any sense at all? Um, to pick apart this episode, much like I'm picking apart this other guy's um, podcast. Uh, to, you know, you could put my podcast on, run it for 10 seconds, pause it, and make a podcast out of, uh, you know, make an episode out of some one comment that I made, you know, and pull it apart and pick it apart. And uh, you could do that and make a, your own podcast, kids, you know, and, you know, and, yeah, uh, and and do declare my podcast as waffle, you know. But there's a lot going on in everything I just said. I really do think that. I don't think I'm smart. I've only picked all that stuff up from other people. But there's a lot going on in what I just said that does relate to Indigenous peoples of Australia, and it does relate to this podcast, and does relate to everything else as well. Um, I, I'm fairly narrow in what I know, by the way. Um, I really, you know. I really only know, a, I know a lot only about a fair bit, you know, about a few things. Um, and that would be Roman Greece and, you know, Greco-Roman Europe, you know. And I know a bit about the Eastern Roman Empire. I know a tiny bit about Persia, not much. I know a fair bit about Ethiopia. So whenever I'm talking, my chats are confined to the... Um, ideas coming out of those places I know, you know. I don't know much about my own ancient culture. I really don't know much about Celtic culture um, and ancient English and I, you know, I'm Anglo-Celtic. Sometimes I pretend to be something else, but um, I don't know much about ancient Anglo, you know, because I'm heavily Romanized and, and Hellenized. Um, so my ancient culture has been lost to the Romans and the Greeks, except for, you know, Harry Potter and fairy stories and Enid Blyton and all that sort of stuff. All right, some of my ancient culture survives via all that. Um, uh, but um, by and large, I'm, I'm very Hellenized and Romanized. Um, so, 
you know, when I'm rambling as I do, it seems to always swirl around ideas coming out of, because these are the only areas in which I've got some expertise. Um, you know, I know about, what? Roman Greece, um, Ethiopia, um, which seems a little bit odd, but you know, I just got into it because of my goddaughter. Um, and I know a bit about Indian philosophy, a bit. Um, and increasingly, I'm going to know more about Indigenous Australia. Oh, and I know about um, West, you know, like um, Anglo Celtic Australia as well, Skippy culture. I know a bit about that as well. So you're not getting many stories from me. Uh, arising from what we might call Africa proper. I don't know much about American history and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's narrow, but it's what I know. Okay? That was almost rap, wasn't it? Rhymed, you know. Um, all right. Well, that'll do there. Um, and what was this episode about? What will I call it? Alexander in Australia, you know. And that's how I started the episode, actually, wasn't I? A young seven-year-old. Oh, my goodness, it's his birthday today. He's eight today. Um, he was very excited when he woke up and saw all his presents on the brown coffee table. You know, that's our tradition in our family. The presents shall be on the brown coffee table when you wake up in the morning. And young Alexander of Australia, the 21st century version, um, had a lovely time. Uh, and he's eight opening his presents. G'day Alexander. We don't call you Alexander, we call you Alex. And my goodness, you, you know, you're turning out to be a little bit like Alex Keaton. Does anyone remember that show? Um, and, uh, you know, your dad is a bit more, a bit of a hippie compared to you, young Alex. Uh, I'm a bit of a progressive hippie deep down, a little bit like Alex's dad and mum were in that TV show, you know, Michael J. Fox was Alex Keaton. Uh, well, we call you Alex, Alex. We don't call you Alexander. It's only Alexander Downer who calls himself Alexander Downer and won't call himself Alex Downer. Do you know Alexander Downer? You just couldn't imagine him as an Alex. He's an Alexander. But you're an Alex, Alex. End of story. But I'm going to call this podcast, this episode, Alexander in Australia ring about it. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.